This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Nick Sotelo. Nick is the host of the Upgraded Life Podcast. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist with a PhD in counseling, education, and supervision. Thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you kind of get into the career you're in? Some of the things that you, you know, went through along the way, some of the pivots, and basically who you are. Sure. That's a wide open question. And with the time that we have, I'll do my best with that. So when I think back through my life, you know, one of the themes that comes out front and center is I I was a reluctant leader, uh, meaning that I I had gifts, I had um, physical abilities, you know, athletic gifts, you know, I was talented, I'm fairly smart. And so school was never you know, a big issue for me, uh, you know, elementary, middle school, uh, high school, actually did really poorly in elementary school. And that's probably um, a product of the kind of the, the rough start in childhood that I had. Um, but then kind of middle school, I, I'm, I'm driven by challenge, right? And so in middle school is when kind of grades start to have some meaning. And I realized like I was behind the other people in my in my class and I decided no, no more of that. And so almost overnight, I switched to being kind of like a B and C student to a straight A student and really carried that on um, through high school. Took a little bit of a dip in college, but um, um, came back at it with, with two graduate degrees. Uh, but that reluctant leader, meaning that there was opportunities for me to lead and I would always shy away from it because I had this this self-doubt this you know limiting beliefs about who I was and a lot of that was a product of the messaging that I received as a child that I had to become aware of accept and forgive uh, you know the people that were the source of of that messaging and so the person that I am today, I'm, I'm a lot of different things, but first and foremost, you know, I'm a, I'm a husband and father and, you know, family is one of my core values. And, you know, I always want to lead with that, that, um, you know, uh, f- family is, is ultimately important and the rest of it comes in addition to that. And so I've been a professional helper for 20 years. I have a 20 year career in youth corrections along the way, you know, early on a kind of an entry level job in youth corrections. My first supervisor encouraged me. He invested in me, saw my potential and encouraged me to continue to go to school as a means to continue to advance my career. So I took that advice and I was working full time and a full time graduate student did that two separate rounds, you know, for master's degree to PhD and have been, you know, a licensed marriage and family therapist since 2009, uh, built private practice with cash paying clients, which those in the therapy world will kind of understand what that means versus billing insurance. Um, I chose to go a different direction in how I operated that. I've helped other counselors do the same. And kind of my last phase is, 
you know, jumping to the top of the academic heap with the PhD and really taking that and carrying my message to a wider audience, um, doing public speaking, doing speaking in the realm of youth corrections, um, bringing content out on my podcast and in other venues. I'm part of a mastermind. Like right now, I just got off a call where I uh, developed a, a four-part anger resolution protocol that uh, was going to 400 men that are part of the uh, mastermind that I'm part of. So just kind of a, just leveraging my experience doing this work, um, sifting through my own anger experiences and then pr uh, providing a, a protocol. Um, so I do a lot of those things. I take my life experience, take my professional experience, take all of the stuff that I had to overcome. And now my mission is to help people upgrade their life. That's what this is all about. And you have to realize and reach your potential in order to, to have the upgraded life. So that's, that's the best that I can do right now, Roman. Hopefully that uh, will, will serve for, for, the, for the time being. Yeah, that's awesome. I think you made a good point about somebody investing in you and encouraging you to move on forward in terms of education or whatever you have. So I think in your career, I think everyone has that one person that may have had an impact on you pivoting or directly a role you've been in when they invested, like go for a master's degree, you know, a doctorate degree and we'll pay for it because we see potential in you. I think that's important. And sometimes when you don't have it, you can kind of veer off in terms of direction. And we obviously spoke about this on your podcast as well. And some of the background that you've told me in terms of youth corrections, a lot of those kids are obviously coming from the foster care system and don't have have that direction. So I think having that kind of, uh, you know, person that's instrumental in guiding you maybe professionally or personally and giving you something in that sense, that opportunity or that push, I think is really important. Absolutely. And in the world of, of criminal justice and criminology, we talk about criminogenic risk factors. That's a made up word. You can't look it up in a dictionary, but criminogenic crime producing or crime genesis factors. And one of the protective factors is having one person, one adult outside of your nuclear family, whatever you call family. So one person that's outside of that, that you can say, if I have a need, this is a person that I can go to. One person provides a protective factor that will buffer somebody from penetrating into the juvenile justice system. One, one person. Yeah, and it's sad that, you know, a lot of these kids within the system and then obviously end up in the correctional system um, in terms of foster care don't have that person. Or if they do have people, they're not the best role models or even push them into the wrong direction in terms of some of the behaviors that they see. So, I mean, obviously, as a foster parent, I see it. And we really had two success cases in terms of parents that genuinely you know, did everything they should have done in terms of getting the kids back and changing who they were in that environment. But I think one product of that is the parents don't change. Obviously, the foster care system is broken. And then there's a recidivism rate where the kids have something happen to them or see something again. And it's a yo-yo effect back and forth. So when they grow up, they're so depleted emotionally and so scarred, then they're easily kind of, you know, guided into the wrong kind of paths as well from their peers and the environments that they're in. Yeah, it, it can be a, um, a sad situation when it's when it's case by case, uh, but it's also representative of things that are very, it's an undercurrent in our society and we need to raise awareness about it and we need to be doing more to intervene before they penetrate and become the kids that I get to work with. 
Yep. I mean, like we, we spoke about, we, you know, me and my wife have had younger kids. So like that kind of instrumental in terms of the younger years, developing good habits and showing, you know, good role models when they're young, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and really even just being for them because a lot of them have been abandoned by, you know, family members, moms, dads, whoever. And, you know, hopefully 10, 20 years down the line that will make that difference or that kind of, you know, click into the right direction. So what motivates you to succeed? Wow. Well, you know, for, for a long time, it was unhealthy, right? And meaning that in, when I first went to graduate school, the first round, although it was my supervisor that it, it encouraged me, but it was also me playing the role in my family. Uh, meaning that in my family, the males all achieve uh, higher education. So, you know, my grandfather, uh, you know, was a veterinarian and ended up landing a, you know, a high caliber, high power job with the uh, U.S. government as a federal meat inspector. And he, he controlled the whole West Coast region, including Alaska and Hawaii. And so he could walk into any plant and shut it down just because he didn't like the way somebody looked at him. That was kind of the, the power. And he would, he, he would do those things. Right. And so uh, my uncle uh, was an engineer and worked for Lockheed Martin or General Dynamics and then turned in. They got bought by Lockheed Martin, which they make uh, fighter planes, you know, F-16s, F-15s, F-22s. So and he's, you know, his name is on the you know, cockpit designs for F-16s. So we used to have models of F-16s in our house all the time and aerial photos and whatnot. And so I, that was kind of the expectation that was laid upon me, that I would um, succeed in, in, in school, get good grades, and that if you didn't do that, then you would risk, you know, bringing on that uh, being less than, being not worthy, you know, bring, bringing on shame to, to the family. And so even when I kind of went into that field of, in, uh, of, you know, psychology and then counseling, you know, marriage and family therapy, you know, there wasn't a ton of um, accolades for that from, from the family. It wasn't what they had envisioned. But yeah, it was the direction that I, that I went. Uh, but a lot of it was to appease them, you know, honestly. Now, Am I happy that I did it? Uh, you know, absolutely. But it took me, and in, in, in thank goodness that I, I was in a counseling program that forced me to do my own work, to sift through some of these formidable experiences that we have as children to kind of realize that and make that connection. Because if I hadn't had made that connection, who knows where, you know, I would have gone and, you know, who knows if I would have been able to actually use the education that I, that I received. And you see that all the time. You see people, it's actually one of the biggest problems that uh, entry-level college folks will experience. Like the only reason why I'm here is because my dad made me be here. I don't really want to be here. Right. And, uh, and so that's a, that's a common, you know, experience, especially in undergraduate world. So I didn't really go into it. Um, the first round of graduate school from a healthy perspective, right? Um, I also saw it as, you know, as a means for career advancing. So there, there's that part of it. What I, I always like to see things and experience things. And if I can improve upon it, that'll drive me. And so when my wife and I were getting married in, in this uh, era in this part of uh, the, the state there, if you were going to get married in a church, the pastor's, developed the covenant and said that, you know, pastors would only marry you if you had so many sessions of premarital counseling. So that was a requirement. And so we did that, my wife and I, and it was a pretty crummy experience, to be honest. <laughs> and 
I, I thought to myself, like, there's got to be a better way to do this. Hey, m- maybe I can do it better. <laughs> and so I remember having that being one of the drivers um, in terms. So, you know, I like to look at scenarios. I like to look at situations. I like to take underdogs and invest in them, help them and, and turn them into something that A, they didn't ever think possible or B, what other people told them wasn't possible. Uh, that motivates me. Um, that, that pushes me, uh, to, to keep taking steps that gets me out of bed in the morning. Yeah. And I think that kind of push by family members and parents to do something like education exists in the culture in the United States and harder in cultures, like let's say Japan, China, where they're like studying for, you know, five, six hours after school. And like the, the rates of suicide and depression are so high. I think, I mean, there, there, there's a certain cutoff to that. I mean, obviously you want your kids to be successful, but you have to have some kind of wiggle room where they can still pursue their, their passions in a way. So what's one thing you may have seen in yourself as a weakness in the past that you've turned around and utilized as a strength today? And that's, um, you know, because of the messaging that I got, when I was a young child. So my, my bio mom is the black sheep of the family and and she's, she's passed now. Uh, but she was the black sheep, you know, she, you know, 15, 16 years old, started really rebelling and would run away. Long story short, she had me when she was 19 and my, uh, biological father is full-blooded Mexican, you know, came over the Southern border and that didn't really set well with, with my grandparents. And so, so I'm, I grew up, um, being adopted by my maternal grandparents and coming to live with them when I was two years old. And that's when I would, you know, over the years, pick up this messaging that they, they would fight. I mean, my grandfather was a rageaholic. He had, you know, heart problems that required medication that would throw him into, you know, manic episodes. And he was a great big man. He was, you know, six foot two, you know, 200 plus pounds. And he liked to throw his weight around. And so I witnessed a lot of, you know, domestic violence. I saw a lot of crazy things happen that kids shouldn't have to see. For whatever reason, I didn't get physically abused. I can remember a couple of times being, you know, smacked across the face for being a smart ass or something like that. But, uh, you know, never had the belt taken to me or those types of things. But I tell you what did happen. It was the psychological torture, as I call it. Um, the messaging that I got, um, you know, was enough to, to break me and it, and it, and it and almost did, you know, a couple of different times. And so, uh, your question specifically, you know, I grew up having an anger edge to me. Um, that was that guy that you didn't want to push, you know, too far. And sometimes we didn't always know what too far where the line was for too far. And then I would, you know, erupt and have this explosive, you know, rageful anger. And that, and that plagued me. It plagued me as an individual. It plagued me in my career, but it definitely in my process to create my own family, you know, unfortunately they got to see the negative side of that. And it took me, hitting, you know, some significant rock bottom type scenarios in order to do something about it. And just like I was talking about early on in this, in this show, you know, having my own take on, on anger resolution and putting it together a protocol that, you know, has worked for me and I've seen it work for other people and putting that out there. So that's something that definitely was a weakness um, that caused a lot of damage in my life that I am uh, happy and excited 
uh, to help other people through to overcome that and hopefully limit the amount of damage. If I can reach people earlier, uh, they won't have to do the same things that I did before they realize they got to do something about it. Yeah, I agree. Obviously, like myself personally, I've witnessed domestic abuse in terms of my father and like infidelity and stuff. And that stuff obviously stays with you. I mean, I've been angry, but I don't know, like not angry where I'm going around beating up people or just like raging, but it bottles up and also it directly affects your the closest people around you usually. So like the tone that I use, stuff like that. And I don't even realize that I'm not even conscious of it. And it's like strangers, I'm like super sweet and nice. But like when I get upset or pissed off, like the tone that I use to people around me that like truly love me. And it's like you hurt directly the ones that care about you the most and push them away in that unless you learn how to deal with it yourself. And then also going back to your your previous, the underdog kind of story, I think me personally, um, I would say to a certain extent, I'm an underdog, if you will. But that kind of like back against the wall kind of mindset, like I, I thrive more in. And I think I create more and innovate more because knowing that, you know, the opportunities that I'm given, some I've gotten some no's, some doors closed, that kind of thing. But like persevering and the resilience in that, I think it drives me even more. And I think obviously there's people that are complacent or like take their foot off the pedal, but like having that mindset and it's hard to maintain it because if you achieve a certain level of success, you just want to hang out, you know, maybe take a vacation, take the pedal off a little bit. But I think it's important to keep that kind of hunger mentality because there's always somebody kind of behind you. And I always say like, I don't want to be number one. I want to be number two, always chasing number one because I'm the innovative one and the hungry one. Absolutely. I am um, about two, two years ago, two and a half years ago, I came across uh, Brendan Bruchard and High Performance Habits. And that was a really impactful book for me as an individual. And then I took a different position in the agency that I worked for where I was directly leading a team. And so I took them through the book as well. And then about a month ago with a, with a new team of leaders, I brought that book back out again. So I've been listening through the audio book and one of the things Roman that, that Brendan says that really, really struck me. And so I'm so glad that I went back to it and listened to it is people like you and me, I'm going to, I'm going to put us in the same category as high performers that, and Brendan, you know, sets us loose and says, it's okay to be a high performer. It's okay to want to achieve more and strive for more. And that there's other people that will tell us, slow down. You're going to hurt yourself. Um, can't you just be happy with what you have? And those are messages that, you know, yes, there might be some wisdom to them, especially if they're coming from people that are really close to us and know us. Right. But if it's kind of the extended people um, and like you were talking about your, your mindset uh, upside uh, upgrade tip that you gave me on my show, like learn who to, what to focus on and who to listen to and learn how to block out the other ones. But um, when I heard that just a couple of days from Brendan about it's okay to, to be a high performer and want to continue that high performer. So I love what you said about, I don't want to be number one. I want to be number two so I can keep, keep after it. Yeah. The contender is always hungrier. I mean, when you become the champ, you constantly have to defend that number one spot. And I mean, if you're number two, obviously you can become number one at some point, but I like kind of like that chasing and that kind of like urgency mindset. And I think, I mean, it's hard to maintain, like I said, 
And I'm not forcing other people to think that way because a lot of people, you know, are happy being in the same job, you know, a government role or any role that's safe um, in terms of like the family obligations they may have for 30 years, 40 years and then retiring. But like for me, mentally, there's more when I made like a mindset shift to legacy and there's so much information out there that with the Internet, you can learn anything. You just need to have the desire to do so then like the the economy and opportunities became like so open and what I can really do it, it was on me so I mean I, I really want to kind of maintain that obviously I don't every day sometimes it's just like exhausting especially during COVID and having four foster kids two dogs one with cancer and this and that and you know family health issues and stuff like that but I think it's important to have different routines and things that can like bring you back to that plate. One of the things that you said, the Roman that stuck out to me is, is being happy. Right. And I know that on, on my show, we talked about Gary V and he'll give a disclaimer sometimes when he's leading into a talk or a keynote. And I, I do this sometimes as well. And that disclaimer is if, if you're happy with your life, if you, if you're content with your life, then stop right here, you know, quit, quit listening, <laughs> right? Because what I'm going to offer you is, is insight opportunities, strategies to, to get more out of life. But if you're, if you're good with your life, then you've made it right. And so, I, so I believe that, but my challenge is that there's a lot of people who settle in their life and then convince themselves that they're happy, right? Convince themselves that they're okay with it. And kind of my litmus test for that is, if, if you think that you're that person, right, um, listen to your default language, meaning when that person cuts you off on your commute to work, what comes out of you, right? And if, if you get all pissed off and you've got, you know, all the expletives coming out, I don't think you're as happy as you think that you are, right? When you're standing in line or going through the line at Starbucks and they mess up your order and, the, and, they, and, they, and they butcher your name and that kind of gets under your skin, I don't think you're as happy as you, as you think that you are. Right. And so uh, I, I will, I will challenge people that say, Oh, I'm, I'm good. And life is good. But then their default language and then let alone what language happens behind their own closed doors. Right. I, I think that people um, settle and I think that they, and I think they settle out of the unknown fear of the unknown. Like I'm good with this, you know, career that I am this, this, you know, um, in W2 salary based job. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're as happy as you say that you are, if, if you're as content as you say that you are, it'll, it should show um, in the little bits of adversity that come at us every single day. Does that make sense to you, Roman? Yeah, it should resonate in other parts of your life. I mean, I, I'm going to tell a short story that like took me back to what you were saying. So 10 years ago, I remember, I mean, I still to a certain extent, I think people a lot of the time are like keyboard uh, keyboard warriors. When there's no repercussions, they puff up their chest and they're the hardest person. But when you come face to face, you know, they step down. So I was pulling out of my driveway on my way to the gym when I was, I believe, 25. It li literally took me back there. And this car sped up, basically honked, and the guy just gave me the finger, like, like why? So I'm like, all right. So I accelerated and waited for a red light. So I was in like a, uh, basically like a tank top or whatever, like my arms and like chest were exposed. And then I get out of my car in the red light and I went to the guy's window. I'm like, you're tough when you're driving by, get out and do that now. I don't know where that came from. I mean, I guess maybe I was still dealing with stuff, but it's just like one of those things that sometimes upset me if people just like, I don't know, 
uh, maybe I should let it go, but people that do things and not think there's any repercussions. So at that time, I thought I would be the one to maybe put that person in check. Obviously, in the last 10 years, I've, you know, went to therapy and to cope for things like seeing that domestic violence and stuff. But I don't know if that was that direct kind of correlation, but it took me back to that story as you were telling that. So what made you kind of start the podcast and kind of jump into that? Did you want to do that prior? And how has that went in terms of kind of who you are and the message that you're trying to portray? Yeah, I appreciate that question. Uh, I, you know, I was looking for, I think everybody has a message. I, I know that I have a message that people need to hear. And so I was looking at the various ways to get that message out there. And whether it was, you know, just purely social media, posting positivity, um, Instagram, Facebook. And, you know, that was all right for a while. Um, but it really wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. And along the way, I, I fell in love with, with the podcast platform. Um, I, you know, I, there probably isn't a day that doesn't go by that I'm not consuming something, you know, out of a podcast. And, but I was concerned about the, this, the technology uh, hump that I would have to overcome in order to the barrier of technology and what it would really take in order to pull it off. And so that kind of kept that, that fear about, um, am I going to be able to do this with, with technology kept me out of the game for, for too long. Right. And so, um, you and I are both using, you know, Anchor as a platform and they sell it as, you know, it's easy as using your cell phone and a, and a set of earbuds. And so I said, all right, if it's, if it's that easy and I'm the mindset guy, you know, why, why am I letting this, you know, technology barrier hold me back? And so uh, I, I created my first podcast, you know, about a year ago um, in, in September of, of 19 and didn't do anything with it. Just kind of let that one or two episodes just kind of sit there for, I don't know, months. And then again, really kind of feeling this, this desire to, to get a message out, knowing that, you know, I, I have helped, I've helped my, you know, I've forced myself to do the work and have gotten help from other people in my career. I've, you know, got a lot of underdog stories under my belt now where people that were down and out, whether it was people that I worked with coworkers or kids that I worked with or people that it came uh, through my counseling office door. And I have some thoughts about things. I have some thoughts about uh, how to get more out of this life, how to realize and reach your potential. And so I also realized that I'm fairly natural in front of the mic, um, fairly natural in front of the camera. I've done a lot of public speaking. I've spoke on the national stage. And so just kind of reduced all of these stupid fears and these barriers about the podcast thing. And so I bought my first round of equipment. I bought into a how to do podcasting program um, that I do. I credit quite a bit for getting me to where I'm at right now and credit me getting in front of you, you know, on your show and bought the initial package of equipment and threw it together and took massive action, right? There's the guru speak, but that's what it was. I, I, I didn't know how to use any of this stuff. I mean, not that I'm, you know, not you know, pretty good with technology. I am because I, when I used to do training from an agency and have to go all over the place, I carried all of my equipment. And then when you show up to a room, you're, you have to figure out like, okay, there's the projector. Okay. There's the soundboard. How do I make what I have work with this? And so learning how to keep all the crap with you all the time. So I just had never applied that to, 
camera, microphone, podcast, producing, audacity, you know, all that stuff that comes with it. Right. And so, um, but yeah, ultimately it's to get my message out. I know that I have a message that people can benefit from, um, leveraging all my life experience to help people upgrade their life. That's really what it's about for me. Yeah. And like, uh, we talked about, I think it's a superior medium. It's the only one, in my opinion, you can really multitask and you really jump into kind of a lot of deep stuff. Unlike, you know, you're at some marketing or, you know, networking event where it's just like, Hey, my name is, what do you do? Okay. I do that too. I mean, obviously some shows are more scripted than others, but I feel it's best when a show maybe has some kind of format in terms of what the host wants to ask, but then the conversation can go wherever it naturally needs and has to go. And, and sometimes like that conversation needs to be had. Absolutely. So what's one piece of advice you may have for the audience, personal or professional? Just any piece of advice. And I mean, your top go-to advice, whatever you want to share. Um, for me, it's all about mindset, meaning that I think that you can have the best plan. You can have the best training. You can have the best you know, five point proven process. But if you don't have the mindset established that you will until, then the best of all that kind of stuff isn't really going to help you. Right. Um, you know, for example, and you talked about it, you know, the knowledge is out there on the internet. And so knowledge should not be an excuse anymore. It used to be, it used to be an excuse that if you didn't have access to the knowledge to school, to the experts, to the authorities, well then, yeah, you're probably gonna be behind the eight ball, so to speak. That's all been almost obliterated, right? During this COVID experience, I don't know if, if you've seen, it's on your, it's in your neck of the woods, but um, it's either Harvard or MIT was offering free classes in a variety of subjects. All you had to do is sign up, get on a Zoom call, and you were in front of the experts in that field, math classes, all kinds of things, you know? And we're seeing that shift in, in education that, you know, a lot of education is going to be moving to a free format because it, it's out there anyway, right? And so you, you have to, if knowledge is your, is your barrier, well, I can't do this because I don't know about it. it that's an excuse, you, you know, through through the internet, through podcasts, through um, audiobooks. If you, if you read five books in the same category, in the same discipline, it will automatically put you in the top 10% of knowledge in, in that thing. And the reason for that is, is because any quality book that's being like, say for podcasting, for example, right? You read five books on how to do a podcast. If they're quality books, it's going to put you in the top 10%. And the reason for that is because those five authors are all pulling from the same vat of what it takes to have a proven podcast. If that makes sense, five books, that's all it takes. So even if you only read a book a quarter in 2020, <laughs> right? You're, you're four fifths of the way there to be in the top 10. You, you'd be considered an expert in the, in the discipline, right? So it's, it's, it's mindset. It's friend for me, mindset work is, is three parts. It's understanding your core values, which you and I have talked about quite a bit. It's having, you know, empowered affirmations, right? So we've got to dump the, the negative messaging that we've been pumped full of, right? And replace it um, with, you know, the empowered affirmations. And you're going to have to edit this part because I'm blanking on the third one. <laughs> um, core values, 
affirmations and do, 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 do. oh um it is having a a daily routine that um solidifies these things in in your mindset work so so upgrading your mindset for me is is where i believe it's at um and it takes work and it takes diligence and it's not something that happens overnight right the re you don't blame a gym for not making you strong if you're not going into the gym every single day, right? And so mindset work is 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 the gym for your brain and you have to commit to it, you know, every single day and give it give it 30, 60, 90 days, right? It's not going to happen overnight. Um, people that I've worked with directly as a coach will start off on the front end and do mindset work. We'll do uh, core values and, and affirmations and you know, 30, 60 days will, will go by and they're starting to kind of teeter back off. And I'll say, Hey, let's look at your affirmations. And I'll look at them and I say, well, how come you don't have affirmations for this area of your life that you're really struggling with? And they'll say, Oh, I didn't really think about it. Right. And so there's a, there's a process for that in terms of, um, uh, doing it right, doing it effectively. And oftentimes you need outside help to help you with that. So that, that's what I would say. My advice is, um, Take a look at your mindset. Take a look at the extent that you have, you know, automatic negative thoughts. I call it, you know, default negative mindset. Um, and this is what we're born with, right? Everybody has this. We're hardwired for it. I don't know why, um, but negativity is such a magnet for us and it, it, it infuses in our brain and then it it becomes what we call, you know, in the coaching world, limiting beliefs and all that kind of jazz. But uh, you've got to do your mindset work and without it, you're just going to be limiting your own potential. Yeah, I agree. It's funny, the the whole coursework and uh, the Ivy League, and there's a lot of schools opening like full degrees in terms of the coursework that you can basically go through yourself. Obviously, you may not get the credits, but you get that knowledge base. I'm actually taking the most popular uh, class ever in Yale. It's uh, the science of happiness. So it's just one of those things where like, you get certain things to do every week and there's actually assignments and then you complete it. I think you, if you pay like 50 bucks or something from like the course, I think it's Coursera in terms of the platform, you get like a certificate, but obviously, I mean, it's more so one of those things in terms of like having a better mindset and different habits and things of that nature. So I definitely feel like it's important. I think it's also accountability. Also, if you have somebody that keeps you accountable, it's a lot easier. I mean, sometimes we need kind of coaches or people in our life to remind us and keep us on track in that way as well. So I really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience know how they can find you and your podcast? Absolutely. So my website is nicksotello.com. And if you want the podcast, it's nicksotello.com forward slash T-U-L podcast, the Upgraded Life podcast. And that's the way that you can, you know, directly find my website, find ways to connect with me and listen to episodes for sure. Uh, I'm on social media. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on, on Instagram. Facebook is just uh, Nick Sotelo and it should be easy to see. You're going to see the purple uh, Upgraded Life uh, uh, logo and artwork all over the place. And on Instagram, it's the, the Upgraded Life at the Upgraded Life. And I think it's the upgraded hyphen or underscore life is is my Instagram handle. And I offer a, a, a free strategy session to folks. And, you know, my guarantee on, on that is um, 
you give me 30 minutes of your time and at minimum you're going to come away with some clarity about what the next steps are and whether you work with me or not doesn't really you know really matter to me uh, but it, it, it potentially could be 30 minutes well spent awesome thanks again for stopping by no problem thanks for having me i really appreciate it This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.